Welcome to Twin Speaks is intended for mature audiences. Also, content warning, we will be discussing topics such as domestic abuse and violence. If you're okay watching Twin Peaks, you'll be okay listening to us. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. What if David Lynch wrote an episode of Seinfeld? For the answer to that question, listen to The Other Side of Darkness, an eight-part story by Sign Peaks that follows Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer on a dark and mysterious journey inspired by the mind of David Lynch. The Other Side of Darkness is currently in production with a cast of over 30 voice actors. Before the story premieres this fall, tune in now to hear exclusive interviews with guest stars and behind-the-scenes artists from Seinfeld. Listen to The Other Side of Darkness today on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, and welcome to Twin Speaks. Hello! Hi! And welcome to Welcome to Twin Speaks. This is Mike. And I am Janine. And we're back. We made it to episode four, our fifth episode. And the fifth, so this is, we did it. We're, we're trucking yeah. along. We are high five for the we fifth are past, episode. Past the halfway point of the first season. Oh, shit. When you put it that way, I feel like uh, <laughs> I've made it quite far. <laughs> yes. We're in it. We are in it. This is, so it's again to be confusing, it's the fifth episode if we're including the pilot, but they call it episode four. And the title of the episode is The One-Armed Man. But Janine, how are you? How are you feeling about the show? How are you feeling about life? What's what's going on with you? Um Yeah, I guess feeling pretty pretty good <laughs> to sum it up. Um Twin Peaks wise, I definitely feel like I'm getting in and I'll probably discuss it more um in this podcast episode i'm feeling more invested in the mystery and basically detective janine is on the case um which i felt like a lot of the characters were very much in this episode but um yeah i'm doing okay i'm getting ready for a um a trip which i'm excited about and i mean covid safe trip and um yeah pretty good how about you i don't think i've asked you yet in this podcast how how rude of me so i'm Doing well. And Janine, we actually talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but so you're going to Hawaii, right? Yep, I know. Yeah, it's, um, yes, I am going to Hawaii and I am freaking out every two seconds. Um, I'm so grateful. But yes, I am going to Hawaii, which made also watching this episode today all the more fun because of it being brought up. So, but yeah. And you are also, if I could say, going to Hawaii. Look at us both in 2021 going to Hawaii. <laughs> like, what? what is life right now? Yes, I'll be going super COVID safe in September. Uh, my girlfriend and I, were both vaccinated. And uh, we're going to be spending two wonderful weeks in Hawaii. Um, hanging out with Dr. Jacoby and all of his weird quirks. <laughs> no, Dr. Jacoby, I'm putting in the back. Yeah, like, no, <laughs> he can't go on my Hawaii trip. He can go on yours. But, um... Yeah, that is like that is, like is incredible that we're both getting to go. I am I don't even have words for it, but it's going to be an exciting time. 
this is the moment where I feel like I need to look at you and be like, have you ever seen Paul Rudd in uh, the Hot Ones interview take, like the famous uh, gif of him? And he just goes, you know, but look at us. Look at us. (laughs) If anyone knows that reference, that's how I feel right now with Mike Dowd and I going to Hawaii. (laughs) Well, that's also how I feel right now, mostly because it's 90 degrees in Brooklyn. And I feel like Paul Rudd in that video eating the hot wings because there's just sweat running down my face (laughs) as we're recording this. And I had to turn my air conditioner off so that we could not get the I know both of us are going to be... I know. We're both, uh, everyone listening in, we're taking in the heat for you guys just so you can hear our lovely voices talking about Twin Peaks, but with no AC on a hot Brooklyn day. So you're you're welcome. If that's... <laughs> um, <laughs> but on that uh, note, we should get started. Yeah. Well, Janine, the last thing you're going to worry about while I'm here is some city slicker I bought into your town relieving himself upstream. <laughs> so with that, let's talk about, let's go scene by scene and discuss this week's episode. Episode four, The One-Armed Man. <laughs> that was me attempting a drum roll. That was really horrible. Um, but... <laughs> Here we go. Um, okay, so episode four slash five, we begin at Mr. and Mrs. Palmer's house. And um, one thing off the bat for me is the beautiful Twin Peaks music playing in the background that creeps in. That's something that kind of even distracts me from time to time just when I'm watching a scene, which is uh, why I'm thankful I take notes. And watching this scene or I mean, watching the show, I've been already, even though it's my first time viewing, watching it, um, replaying scenes back. Like I keep going back to certain scenes and I'm starting to notice like there's, I I replay, it's kind of like how I read a book sometimes. If I'm really invested, I'll reread it like a sentence or paragraph over and over just because I'm like mesmerized by it. And that's something I'm now starting to acknowledge this far into the show. Um, But back into the Mr. and Mrs. Palmer's house, we basically have Sarah describing um, to Deputy Andy, who, gosh, oh, we'll get into that in this episode, how clumsy Andy is. But Sarah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) describes a man to Deputy Andy um, to make that sketch from what seems to be, I think, her dream. And Donna's there and Maddie. And I just have to say right now, it's going to be very hard to look at Maddie now knowing that it's the same exact actress that plays Laura. Um, so, yeah, looking at Maddie, I'm just like, you're the same woman. Like, this is just not like it's a it's a big distractor. It also obviously makes me feel very fishy about her um, looking like uncanny like Laura. So I, I kind of feel very suspicious of uh, Maddie already this yeah. early on with not much words being said from her end. Um and I think you yeah. would have noticed it this episode. I know you didn't notice it immediately last episode. Oh, yeah. I think you definitely would have noticed it this episode. It's a lot more obvious. Oh, yeah. Even before, too, when she has her encounter with James, which, with James, which we'll talk about. Um, but, yes, I think the moment when she goes up to Truman, I'm just like, you're – that's that's the actress that plays Laura. I still forget the actress's name because I get very, as you know, careful to not look up anything. So, in general, I forget all the actors' names. I think 
besides Kyle McLaughlin, because we all know why I would remember Kyle McLaughlin, which <gasps> this is a little detour on the podcast, which is very, very important. This past week, guess what was on TV that had ver- my, you know, my favorite, my favorite Dale Cooper on? Um, I forgot that he plays the villain in the Flintstones movie with John Goodman. <laughs> yes, that is one of my favorite. Oh, what is his name? It's like. Such like What's a Vegas villain character in that. Yeah, he just has like that. Um, he I'm wears like a black up. and white suit. Wait, where is it? Because it'll say it. Oh come on. <laughs> uh. Mike is, um, in case anyone's wondering, very intently on his phone trying to search for something. Cliff Vandercave. Cliff Vandercave is his name. <laughs> there it is, Cliff. Not too far from Coop. Yeah, so I thought that was really funny. I just had to bring that up. Yeah, so that was a slight detour. But back to the episode. Um, Yeah, so Sarah describes, you know, this drawing. And I don't really think I'm trusting Maddie, who's in the room. And now we're getting this idea, like... I know that there's been a, just like um, an idea that some people seem to have visions or it's been talked about their dreams, like Cooper with his dream in that epic episode. And um, Sarah has been seeing things. But now this is like sort of, I wrote down, I was kind of curious now. I'm like, wait, is Sarah a psychic or something? Just because what she technically was having a vision of, which we did not see, well, we did see prior, but we didn't know that was potentially because it was Sarah having a vision of the necklace being picked up back all the way back in like what episode, the pilot episode at the end. Um, So yeah, that has made me quite uh, excited about this sort of like supernatural element that could be existing again within the show. So yeah. That was my take on the opening scene of this episode. Absolutely. And um, Cheryl Lee is the actress that plays both Maddie and Laura Palmer. Oh, thank you. Cheryl yes. Lee. Yeah, I, what I gathered from that was basically Sarah might be a psychic. I don't really think I trust um, Maddie. Um, and yeah, and Andy can draw. So props to Andy being the doodler I've always hoped him to be. Yeah. Andy the artist. We love <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think that's his we meant support. to be job. He's just doing it on the side, like Joni Mitchell style, where she's like, yeah, I really want to be a painter, but she ends up being a musician. <laughs> and like Andy just ends up being, you know, a clumsy cop. <laughs> that's I, I support Andy's art career 100%. <laughs> Same. So we transition into the next scene with one of my favorite characters, so far, she's just the most adorable thing on the planet, or at least in Twin Peaks. Uh, Lucy is watching. Now I know the invitation to love is not just associated with Shelly. Um, for some reason, I was like, is this just a show that Shelly sees in her mind and no one else does? But now I know invitation to love is like uh, in reality and other people are aware of it. So Lucy seems to be an avid fan of invitations to love. Um, and now we're starting to know some of these characters. And of course, it's a bit of like are foreshadowing or just basically like i do i love when films or shows do this thing where they have like a show within a show or like they invest time in making like a fake environment that exists with it just becomes layers like inception level of different false realities or something and i just thought it was really cool so yeah i'm actually getting a little invested in invitation to love and wondering how much of it is going to actually scatter throughout the show i thought it was just going to be a little 
Easter egg or hiccup thing. And now it's becoming a bit of like a whole bunny on the show showing up. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so we have Lucy who's watching that show. And of course, I feel like I can relate to her just because she seems like she's um, easily distracted or just will um, gives Truman not the exact answer he's looking for, which I'm starting to see that repetitive um, habit of hers. Um, but yeah, and this is what I totally didn't see coming. Andy and Lucy having a little tat-tat-tat-tat, like, or, you know, they have something going on. Um, or maybe not, and I think Andy's just hopeful. I don't know. I do like the idea, though, of Lucy having a little bit of sass, so... Well, uh, we'll explore yeah. that relationship some more, but I think there's, <laughs> I think there's a little... I, th- I think there's, uh, there's, there's definitely, uh, some, some mutual happenings there but uh clearly lucy is mad at andy for some reason just another mystery in the world of twin peaks true poor andy poor chet (laughs) poor chet poor Poor chet Chet. (sighs) transitioning to um a bigger scene which is basically dr kobe i put him up there with the list of people i really don't like on the show or the characters i really don't care for or basically make me uncomfortable. There's characters that make me uncomfortable in the show, but I still don't dislike them, if that makes any sense. But characters like Benjamin, um, Catherine, and Dr. Jacoby are up there with uncomfortable and also just don't really care for them. Um, But we have Dr. Jacoby sitting (laughs) one end of the table across from Dale Cooper. And um, we also got two pairs of what looks to be golf balls or something yes that uh jacoby's a big fan of um yeah those are two characters i'm curious about the two golf balls but we'll see where that goes i i had a feeling that because of the conversation that ensued with the sort or like um the problems of humanity and sexual nature and what we're all dry like driven by um i'm just wondering if like the golf balls were just like a little bit of a cameo in regards to jacoby holding a pair of balls basically i don't know like (laughs) yeah there's there i mean i uh, with david lynch nothing is an accident and yet everything is Mm -hmm. an accident um so strange but yeah i think i think so that was um this was actually just some like improvisation from uh russ tamblin the actor who plays dr jacoby he's he just like knows these sleight of hand magic tricks so he just like on set was just like messing around and was like hey what if i did this in, in the scene and of course they put it in because it just adds to that wonderful weirdness of the show so yeah i think uh i think a character talking about sex while having balls in his mouth is definitely <laughs> definitely intentional Makes part of the sense. joke <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm starting to lean him towards in, innocent currently, but that's just, I don't think anyone's innocent in Twin Peaks, but I think when I say innocent, I mean towards the murder of Laura Palmer. I don't know. I'm fishy about him still. Um, but yeah, so we have him clarifying, though, that the, that he saw, he saw a red Corvette the day after Laura's murder um, at the old sawmill. Or at least uh, the old old sawmill road, from what I gather, 
And um, that's basically what he uh, leaves them with. Oh, and he leaves them with hang loose, hoolies, if that's correct. I don't know. Yeah. Hang loose, hoolies. <laughs> yeah, I'll give Dr. Jacoby, like, I didn't like thumb. him. Yeah, the little thing. I didn't like him, still don't care for him, but I, like, had a little burst of, like, oh, I appreciate that walkout, you know, in that line. Um, yeah, so... LOL. Okay, bye, Dr. Jacoby. <laughs> Going to Hawaii, just like us. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I hope I don't meet, see you there, but uh, have fun. Um, <laughs> so, leaving that as is, we then have Dale and Truman find out that the twine that was attached to Laura in the autopsy was Finley's Fine Twine, which is quite a catchy name, I, I have to admit. And that there were bird bites. I, I just, my notes, I sometimes can't, I can't even grasp my notes. But I just put Finley's fine twine and bird bites, um, blushing emoji face. <laughs> like the one with the wide eyes. That's just how I gathered it. Like, okay. Um, but this is now what I mean. Like, I'm starting to feel like, okay, now I really need to, I mean, I've been, I've definitely been confused this much into the show. Still feeling confused. But now I'm like, okay. There's like specific details that I'm trying to really gather and be like, okay, this might be really useful, you know, season two or blah, blah, blah. So yeah, we have Finley's Fine Twine and Bird Bites and, um, you know, Truman and Dale are <laughs> sticking to the case. The evidence is yeah. being gathered and we, we, we have mm -hmm. like solid physical evidence now. And so... Janine, you've yeah. got your notepad out. You're 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 taking the notes. You're putting a, a magnifying glass on everything. Oh yeah, and I'm running out of ink because the notes are intense. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh, and I will just have to give credit to Dale Cooper sticking up for Harry Truman through and through. I think they're they're I'm seeing them as besties from the beginning. They, I'm like, and they've only known each other for like a few days. It's been like a week, yeah. maybe less than that. Good for them. Hey, hey, Cooper's got the chemistry with Truman, and I'm I I never really say that this ever, but I'll say it this one time for the podcast. I ship it. I said it. I ship it. I do too. Even though now Truman does have a thing with Josie, and hey, ship them all. It's fine. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's Twin Peaks. Everyone's cheating on each other. Anyway, we might as well. Exactly. <laughs> also, I am surprised that this. For some reason, I thought, like, when I saw all the inter-connected you know, um, relationships and all the affairs and stuff, I thought, like, oh, okay, I learned it all. And then episode, you know, four slash five, I'm finding out Andy and Lucy. I'm like, of course, there's going to be probably another 15 relationships I'm going to learn about before the end of this season when there's only, like, what, three episodes left. A huge spider web of connections. <laughs> Cooper's, not Charlotte's web, Cooper's web. Cooper's web. <laughs> I love that. Next scene, we have um like oh, actually, no. See, I have to remember all these quotes that I'm really appreciating of Cooper because not only was he sticking out for Truman, but probably my favorite line from Coop thus far, and I'm sure it will change. I'm a strong sender. <laughs> what a vibey. 
statement. Like, I want to use, I really want to steal that from Cooper. Just imagine, like, all of a sudden, like, you're in a room. Or, like, watch. We'll go to karaoke one night when it's safe enough in the future. And I'm just going to be, like, drunk being like, I'm a strong sender, guys. I'm a strong sender. I'm vibing it all over this karaoke joint. I don't know. that. I love that line. It's just. Uh, I, I have been on too many dates where, where I've been, like, first dates where women have been like, are you feeling a bit anxious? Like, I'm a strong sender. And I'm like, don't worry. It's fine. It's, you're fine. And all I can think in the back of my head is Dale Cooper. <laughs> I've never used that before. But yeah, I might be hopping on that. Bandwagon <laughs> just because it's so funny. I don't know, also, I really do appreciate Cooper's level of um, planning ahead. He seems still like up until this point, very good at his job. Though I'm still feeling fishy about, you know, his, him and Andre. But that will be for another time. Okay, so Josie, my main lady, um, she's first, okay, I counted basically quite a few detectives or people that are invested in becoming detectives now in Twin Peaks. People who are not even, you know, professionals, but there's a lot of detectives now getting on the case, which makes me feel great because it makes me think like, wow, are these people really, I mean do they care about Laura or like, and now I'm like starting to get excited because people are actually wanting, I feel like I'm getting closer to the, the, the answers basically. So it is a bit exciting. So we have Timber Falls Motel and Josie, the photographer is snooping what looks to be on Catherine, the Karen and Benjamin who are also up there with Dr. Jacoby as my least favorite character. So anytime that these two get on screen, I'm just sulking in my seat I don't anyway yeah I listened to what they had to say and they look like you know they're still being weirdly horny but like more for their egos than each other and yeah um they did that whole kind of take where it seems like Harry Andy and Cooper are gonna go like knock on a certain door I don't know if this was me getting mixed up I knew that they I think I thought they were going basically to that that same place and I didn't expect it to be the one-armed man um, I expected that they were going to actually go find um, Truman. I mean, Truman, Cooper, and Andy were going to find uh, Ben and Catherine. But that might have just been my fast-paced mind mixing things up. So, yeah. So, it's completely coincidental um, that the one our man is staying at this same little hotel that uh, Catherine and Ben are staying in. Completely coincidental. Um and, you know, Josie just happens to be there as well. And so there's all this stuff going on. Um, they were they showed up because in the last scene, um, Hawk mentions, I think he calls. I think he calls uh, uh, Harry and he, he mentions to him that he's actually tracked down the one arm man. To this hotel, which. Hawk can track. He actually did it finally i want to just give him a hard finally. time but he did it <laughs> took him i like, know three but days I'm... but he did it <laughs> finally doing his job but you know i'm still weary of him he needs to st- i mean but he yeah he kind of made up for his lack of you know searching from the previous <laughs> you know morgue situation that we now shall never speak of ever again <laughs> yeah so one thing I did find interesting that I did gather from the scene with Catherine and Ben is that I think Catherine might be getting a little bit 
uh, or this is going to lead down a path of suspicion for Catherine because she saw that um, when he headed to the bathroom, that little uh, one-eyed Jack's thousand uh, chip, the token, the little chippy chip chip. And uh, yeah, chip for Catherine. And I hope Ben gets caught in every possible way, even though I don't care for Catherine. I'm just like... I don't think she knows that he's kind of going around elsewhere, like at One-Eyed Jack's with all the ladies and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, that was interesting. I will say nothing. We will see how that develops. Yeah, and I guess besides the um, the chip the that Catherine finds, what the fuck? Little Elvis in a bath. Ben and his just gonna give El, you know little elvis a bath like i don't anything ben says just no all i was just my notes to that little elvis in a bath no ben shut the fuck up <laughs> leave <laughs> leave ben <laughs> leave what the fuck <laughs> i cannot he is definitely number one up there um i just can't stand ben what he oh anywho we're moving on. Is that okay with you, Mike? Because no, I'm done with it. Oh, please. Let's move on from Ben <laughs> and Catherine. Okay. So we have in the same location, we transfer to the officers finding the one-armed man and um, Philip uh, Gerard, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have, like, we've hardly seen this man really. Um but, yeah, he does kind of, like, look familiar if he is, I think. Yeah, we saw him in the elevator, I think, in the pilot episode. Um, I do confuse him now with sometimes, like, there's that other guy from the bed frame when Sarah has her vision. But I'm pretty sure I remember him just from the elevator, and that's about it. Um, so they start questioning him. And he, like, he mentions this veterinarian, Bob, uh, is it Lindecker or, like, Lidecker. I got too confused about um, the Bob, vet. Uh, Bob Lidecker. Lidecker. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. Who is his bestie and um, and that he is in a coma. Um, I will just say the best way I can sum up this, uh, you know, this scene, besides, yes, we're still getting closer and closer to more information about the case. I did not expect uh, this guy, Philip. And the tattoo he had on his arm and that reaction to when he answered Dale's question, what was the tattoo on your arm? Mom. Mom. (laughs) (laughs) And his cry, he like, he looks like he's about to like eat his hand. Like I I had to replay that part. So I was like, wait, I'm like, I get it. It was supposed to be like dramatic and a bit soap opery um but yeah his reaction to saying it was his mom and then he starts breaking down and then yeah partially putting his hand in his mouth i'm like of course like this reminded me of when leyland did the whole which i found out was the whole method thing of like his blood on the just like real soap opery like full-on drama that they go and i absolutely do love it and i love when i can like basically least expect it when it's just gonna come around the corner from a certain character so um some backstory I'm curious about that with Philip and his mom. <laughs> yeah. And we have seen him. We also saw him in Coop's dream, if you remember. He recited the yes. poem. Yeah. With his the voice. Yeah. 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 Um, I remember like uh, recognizing the voice, but still don't know where I recognize it from before watching this show. But yeah, mm-hmm. true. 
fast forward to the next scene, which is now we got Audrey and Donna. And this is like, besides, you know, Audrey's epic dance number in the other episode, this is a proper conversation or a little bit more of an elaborate conversation with them. And I have to say, first time viewing this moment, this scene, for the first time, I am extremely suspicious of Donna. Like, really suspicious. Surprisingly, more than Audrey, because Audrey was the kind of most manipulative looking character, you know, since the beginning of the show. Um, yeah, for some reason that switched on me all of a sudden because Audrey seems like she's detective number two showing up in this episode who's really invested in wanting to know about Laura's death and find out the truth. And Donna, the way she turns around, not just about the information, what is it basically that, um, that Audrey finds out about this place, One-Eyed Jacks, which Donna, for some reason, mixes that up with a, what, a Western that Marlo, Marlon Brando was in? Which I don't know if Marlon Brando was in a film related to One-Eyed Jacks. I don't know. But yeah, that was a random line to in my head. Uh, yes, there is a, I, I believe there is a Western by the name of One-Eyed Jack starring Marlon Brando. <laughs> we'll talk more about We'll talk more about Westerns and their influence on Twin Peaks later in the legacy. So basically Donna and Audrey, you know, have a sig and they, and Audrey definitely has some ambitions, which I did kind of assess in previous episodes. Like one, I kind of could recollect that she is wanting some attention, I think, within her family, which makes sense when you have like a dad like Benjamin, who seems quite awful. Um, But... She obviously mentions her little uh, crushy crush crush with Coop Coop Coop. And I'm kind of like, no, just no, just no. Um, but yeah, she dreams about running away with him. And yeah, but just some of the looks that Donna made in this, this might have just been me being extremely analytical. But I think it just had to do with the way Donna was reacting to what Audrey was saying. And I don't know, she was starting to show... Uh, I don't know. It's it's very hard for me to describe, but I'm starting to get suspicious of Donna. I think it's because sometimes a, sh- a story can be really good when someone, like, sometimes it could be really obvious when the most innocent looking character is the one that is the, um, the most evil or, like, potentially, you know, best at putting an act on. Um, but yeah, I'm starting to get, like, that, those kind of inklings. Um, I know you can't say anything, and if anyone... <laughs> listening right now mike is obviously nodding his head just going "Mm, okay like he's just giving Mm -hmm, good mm porked face of course of course i will say nothing (laughs) but it basically concludes in that scene that um audrey and donna are going to team up the detective donna and audrey also on the case so that's detective number three which is donna but i'm a little suspicious of donna i think going along i think she's just going along with the plan right now i don't know it's hard to believe anything and they discovered that laura had another job this is job number what five six i've lost count already i wrote 400 so (laughs) i (laughs) in comes in now okay I do have to say, I know Norma was the first person that I said in your, when you asked me at the end of each episode, who killed um, Laura Palmer. I said Norma, I think, if I'm not mistaken, in the first episode and the pilot. And I don't think that 
present time anymore, but I will say, um, that aside, Norma is the most charismatic character for me, even above Cooper, which I think is a high praise. But yeah, I think she there's something about her you know when like you look at an actor or an actress when they're on screen and like they could just not say anything and they just stand there and you're just kind of like a little mesmerized by them i'm not sure if it's just because of how she physically looks or whatnot but like norma yeah to me is kind of the most charismatic um yeah so i kind of just really i like watching her scenes but um on that note i will say i was not looking forward to this guy hank her husband walking in the room um he seems like he's up there with manipulative Audrey, probably worse because, you know, he's another, another, I'm going to sound like I'm shitting on all white guys. I'm just saying he seems like a bit of a toxic, like a toxic masculine kind of a uh, guy, Hank. So yeah. I think you're picking up right the right energy there. Thought so. I think my intuition told me it. So he, right in his first exchange, oh, I get, when you just go up to someone you're like I know I'm not um you know I know I don't have the right to say this I know that you know I I haven't proven anything or blah 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 but trust me and it's just like (laughs) I don't know this guy he I've only heard maybe two sentences about him thus far and yeah not a fan and in the words of him all I want to just say is catch you later um yeah but we get that basically that he was involved in this sort of accident and it's like Norma, of course, the moment she has that exchange looks like she's giving it. I mean, I've been, I think at this point, which I didn't think I would, I'm rooting for her and Ed. Um, or at least even though there hasn't, I haven't seen much interaction between them, at least from Norma's perspective and her background story and a little bit of Ed's. Um, yeah, I'm kind of rooting for them right now. And I'm not rooting for this guy, Hank. He seems manipulative as fuck. And um, now I'm annoyed. It's heading in this direction that, like, that that might change now with, uh, yeah, with Norma and Ed. So, yeah, or not Norma. a fan of Hank. I know. Or I kind of list down, like, uh, there's definitely fewer characters that I'm fan a fan of in the show versus characters that I dislike. So the, the, there's too many characters growing that I don't like and Hake is on that list as well. Yeah. Also, yeah, this is like our first time um like this wasn't in Twin Peaks, is it? Or where does Norma go in basically to this, you know, trial or like case kind of thing? They don't say it specifically, but I'm assuming it's somewhere in Washington because uh, Norma says in the scene that, you know, I own the double R in Twin Peaks. And she says it as if like Twin Peaks is like another town, like a different town um, from where they are then. But I'm assuming it's still Washington because, you know, Twin Peaks, you know, it's small, but I'm assuming it does have somewhat of like a like statewide reputation, if anything. So, Mm -hmm. um yeah, so I think it's it's somewhere in Washington. Probably. It was interesting seeing <laughs> it was interesting seeing a scene that was involving legal action and legal discussions that didn't involve the Twin Peaks Sheriff Department. So like that was like made it kind of feel a little bit distant, which yeah, was interesting. But um biggest clue or at least detective moment for me in that scene is Hank holding some sort of domino chip quite a few chips in this episode one-eyed jack token vegas chip 
and then we got this uh yeah three three domino chip that he's holding in his hand um i don't know like i said catch you later hank catch you later these boys these boys playing games these boys playing games janine (laughs) yeah what was it my note just said don't trust him for shit (laughs) that's all you need to know people okay probably my favorite scene um of the episode not long but so fulfilling and so wonderful in all the right ways this is where i would go if i was able to visit like if i was able to visit twin peaks the first place i would go to is um line decker's uh veterinary clinic and they basically go to this you know vet um they meet this woman who probably was my favorite person in the room, Mrs. Loomer, who's at the front desk, who's adorable, almost as adorable uh, as the llama sitting and standing in the room. <laughs> yes, we love the llama. We love Coop's llama. <laughs> yeah, it, I think it's probably the most, I mean, when Lynch does something lighthearted and as wholesome as that, it feels even all the more wholesome and lighthearted because Lynch can go so dark. So when he goes light, like you said, the lightest lights and the darkest darts, I'm pretty sure this was like one of the, at least setting wise, the lightest, <laughs> the lightest, brightest moments <laughs> with the cutest animals ever. It was so, <laughs> and the music. Can we just also give credit to the music in that moment? It was great. Absolutely. Besides me getting too distracted by the adorable cuteness in the room, I did gather that once again the officers found some information in the waiting room um and they yeah like they show i think the this you know picture to mrs loomer and um she confirms that's not the doctor and yeah and then cooper olson thinks that laura palmer was basically yeah attacked by a bird which we gathered from the bird bites i assumed and yeah, and then he confiscates the files, and Mrs. Mrs. Loomer, Loomer's reaction, just an adorable like, what? Or like, what is it? Ever she says, she just goes, what? <laughs> um, yeah, the whole flipping scene was great. To follow up on your note about keeping the lights light and the darks dark, it is this like lovely, beautiful like pet haven, you know, veterinarian's office. But the sign out front, it says Lidecker Veterinarian Clinic aid to the beast incarnate yeah so I dark i know i rewind and i was just like okay 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 david lynch you went there let's go on to uh shelly 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 and bastard bobby getting it on in uh you know shelly and leo's house um now i can get they definitely are they have the hots for each other so they have a makeout sesh, ooh ooh ooh, and they yeah they talk about the funeral and Shelley really wanted to be by his side, amen. Little flashback quote, Bobby though, um, this is interesting. This to me is like the first time we're seeing Bobby be a little bit. I mean, we see him previously when he's interacting with Leo in the woods when he's with Snake. He's a little bit like antsy and he's getting a little bit. Uh, nervous but in this scene with Shelly I just am starting to notice that 
and also around the funeral, he's basically starting to get a little bit more serious. And he seems like he's becoming more of a cautious character. And he's also, like um, some other characters, uh, he's what, detective number three or four? I'm losing track of the detectives I'm mentioning in this. But he's now invested in, well, he's invested in, I think, who killed Laura. But he's obviously more invested in uh, taking out Leo, which is not surprising with his relationship with Shelly. Um, but oh my god, um, Shelly... Shelly got a gun, and Shelly's a little bit, um, she's getting a bit intense. She's clearly, like, a little too horny to be holding a gun in her hand. Like, she just seems a little bit all over the place. Holds it a little too close to her chest. A little bit too close. A little bit too close. Yeah, agreed. Um, but yeah, so in that scene, though, Bobby sees the shirt that had the blood on it that Shelly, you know, was talking about, and Bobby, detective bastard Bobby is on the case and he's like don't worry i got it say you haven't seen it say it which is very bobby of him but he takes the shirt and uh, it's gonna i don't know i just think things are gonna get messy that's all i think clumsy andy drops his gun forgot to mention this in the previous scene which is by far the most andy thing to happen i think thus far besides crying next to crying now we know andy drops guns and shoots his gun yeah it's exactly what he needs to draw he cannot hold a gun because he will drop it and it will accidentally go off and he will not forgive himself because he has too big of a heart (laughs) so um yeah so we have andy apologizing basically for dropping his gun he tells lucy about it and um yeah, she comes around with more sass. Um, I'm very much looking forward to what happens between them because it's so very much in the unknown right now for me. I want to. I, I can. I know you know about Andy and Lucy, but you can't say anything. So I can't. I, yeah, something's something's is. brewing there, and uh, that's 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 all I can really say on the subject. Well, I will say Andy in training, (laughs) gun training, is um, horribly entertaining (laughs) and just a bit hilarious. Um, Yeah, not being a gun fan, but uh, Cooper, though, of course, is going to be suave in how he's approaching everything. That was a little bit like his love of firing. What was it he talks about? I gave, yeah, two eyes, like two eyes and two nostrils. (laughs) When he he had the whole, like, personifying the the target. (laughs) I was like, oh, God. Um, Okay, Coop. You're skilled, but you scare me in that that intent. Donna, we have, answers a phone call with James. And um, she invites her, like, invites him to some church potluck. And (laughs) Mr. Hayward in the background about diet lasagna. (laughs) Uh, Mayday, mayday, come help me. (laughs) Um, Can't be that bad. I'm just saying, it can't be that bad. I yeah, I know. I think it's just Hayward. Yeah, Mr. Hayward's just being a little dramatic. Uh, what's new in this show? So, yeah, she basically invites James, but James now, he looked a little bit moody on the phone, but let's just, um, obviously, I you know, uh, Donna needs to talk to James about what the conversation that, you know, she had with Audrey, basically them becoming little detectives. Um, but this is the most interesting part because James gets off the phone and who walks into the diner but uh, Maddie, Madeline, or Madeline, 
excuse me, um, walks into the diner. And now all I see is Laura's face, just like him. I was just like, oh, shit. James and Donna's relationship's going to go to hell. Um, James is just going to look, have one look at Maddie and just be like, oh. Okay, I'm in. I'm. I feel like I was having a bit of a vertigo moment. Like if anyone's seen Vertigo and how Jimmy Stewart basically starts, you know how like spoil. Um, just giving everyone a spoiler. I'm about to say a spoiler in the movie Vertigo. Um, but yeah, Jimmy Stewart starts a movie that's like sixty years old or whatever. Because I just saw it only like through. Like I only saw it a month ago. So you know me. I'm notorious for seeing things decades later um, without spoilers even. So I was able to watch Vertigo with no spoilers. Hence the the podcast. Yeah, hence Hence why I was perfect to co-host for this. If you need a newbie for any other topics, guys, The Shining, like we've said, blah blah blah. You name it, I'm your gal. But so in Vertigo. Jimmy Stewart um, basically starts becoming obsessive over this woman who looks exactly like um, the person he was, uh, you know, previously in love with. And he starts to make her dress and, you know, and look like um, the person he loved. And but what do you know? It actually is the same woman. He just doesn't realize that she is alive. It's a great movie. I recommend, you know, seeing it. But this is what kind of ran in my mind when James sees Maddie because I'm thinking like, oh, shit, he's seeing Maddie looks exactly like Laura. He's become going to become obsessed. Oh, my God. Please don't change her outfits or try and change who this woman is. But at the same time, Maddie is so mysterious and sus to me that I'm kind of like, who are you really, Maddie? Are you actually Laura just with, you know, brown hair? You say you were cousins, but... I did like that they finally address how much she looks like her, though. And she's just casually like, yeah, we used to pretend we were sisters. Like, uh, 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 okay. All right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not fishy at all. There's that. James is um now, I think, in awe of Maddie's character, and I'm a little bit worried of where that might go. Um, oh, bad news. Bad news. For Norma, at least. Norma gets... The phone call back and Hank, which I suspected this from the scene with Hank and just because of how manipulative it is. But Hank is now going to be, he's got parole. Bad for Norma. Bad for Norma and Ed. It's not looking too good, which, yeah. I'm not looking forward to seeing more of this guy either. I assumed when he made his cameo, I'm like, oh, of course we're going to see more of this guy. You can't just not see more of a guy that holds a very (laughs) mysterious chip in his, domino chip in his hand, like... I don't know. But then David Lynch might all of a sudden just have a character with a clue in their hand, like whether it's golf balls or if it's a domino chip or what have you. And then they just <laughs> never seen again. <laughs> so there's that too. Just never reference again. But yeah, I mean, Norma's a, not I mean, having. Later yeah. in this episode, there's two p- people playing tennis for no reason. So yeah, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah, that was random. Um, so, yeah, it's not looking good for Norma in this whole episode, which is a bit of a bummer. We have Audrey come in and basically is wanting to convince her dad that she wants to work for the family business. About 12 seconds into her talking, I was like, well, of course she's being manipulative. She doesn't really, she has motives. She knows what she wants and what she's doing, but she's just going to try and play her dad um, so she can be Detective Audrey and find out what she needs to do. Um 
it was a little bit satisfying to realize that she was convincing her dad a little bit in that scene that she wants to be a part of the family business because all she had to say was uh let please let me be your daughter again like good acting audrey good acting she knows what she's doing oh she does um most suspicious part of that scene is that when she goes to hug him all of a sudden you see a damn photo of her and laura from some sort of trip or vacation or at least what it looked like it looked like laura to me in that photo and Ben, I think, on top of the fact that I find what Donna in this episode with I have no really reasoning why I'm finding Donna. There's I always have two people I'm leaning towards that I'm suspicious of. One with no reason, just my gut saying it or impulse, and then the other one based on actual information, like a detective should. Um, which so, um, and that's yeah, basically no reason is Donna. Some suspicion towards Benjamin, and I will say also Leo. Can we just talk about, though, for a second, Ben is basically going to try and attempt to burn the mill. And that's... Oh, yeah. He's... Yeah, he's pretty dangerous. Like, he's not only an asshole. He's also, like, a dangerous asshole. What's worse than a dangerous asshole? Like... (sighs) Yeah. If I got a penny for every time I just didn't like Ben. That's just how I feel. (laughs) I mean, he's not just burning the mill. He's burning calories in this scene. <laughs> he is looking sweaty as hell. He's look. If anyone wants to know what I look like right now in this ninety degree Brooklyn heat wave, it just imagine Ben on that motor on the the, the uh, stationary bike, and that's what I look like right now. <laughs> yep, it's true, guys. I'm seeing it pixely and all, but it's real. It's, I mean, I'm on my way. No AC in my room either. Um, okay. So, so we go back to Harry, um, Harry Truman, Dale Cooper, and Andy, which I forget what Andy's last name is. Um, but they're going it's, through the... Yeah? It's it's Brennan. Oh, Andy Brennan. Brennan. Sorry, Andy. I'll remember it now. Yeah, so they're going through the files, and... Um, Gordon calls and that like Albert is um, faxing the reconstruction of the plastic objects. And so those plastic objects that they find with Laura, like that was in Laura Palmer's stomach. um, This I find so interesting. They're just like the info is, so it's from either a parrot or a, what was it? A minor bird or something like that. And then literally two seconds later, this is probably like the fastest, um, like of finding out information like they were sitting there for hours and they're just looking at all these all these case files of bird owners and then all of a sudden like get a call oh yeah it's either a parrot or a minor bird and then all of a sudden they see what is it waldo i mean yes there was also a louis armstrong cute that's a cute one but uh, we gotta give it to waldo the one that bit laura how dare waldo do it but yeah so owned by jacques can I can I say my uh my my favorite pet name in the episode? Annette the Otter. I just <laughs> I just love Otter so much. I don't know why someone in Twin Peaks has a pet otter, but shout shout out to Annette the Otter. <laughs> shout out Annette. We love you. We wouldn't have oh my god, don't hate me for this, but I'm gonna say it because I'm a I just I'm a little good pun. I wouldn't have it any otter way. 
Uh, I I don't care who's listening, but that filled my soul, and I think Annette would be proud. I love it. Anyway. <laughs> we just lost all of our listeners. We lost all, all the followers, and I still walk away <laughs> being exactly who I want to be. <laughs> Made it a solid five episodes, dude. <laughs> I am not sorry. I can't. I can't help myself. Um, I'm surprised that I lasted this long without. I'm not sure if I pulled any puns in previous episodes, but watch out, folks. They might be coming around from time to time. <laughs> Guilty. Um. Yeah. So then we have uh. Yeah. Two people playing tennis at night on. Yeah. Like uh, that court, which was a bit random, and Coop. Cooper is watching them and then the offers run like run to the apartment building and up the stairs and they knock on that room and call for Jacques um but who's there but bastard Bobby doing his own detective shit and clumsily Lee I'm not sure that's a word clumsily don't mind me but yeah Bobby basically clumsily walks out like as if he was Andy out runs out of the apartment and tries to escape. Um, and he looks like he fled quite fast, though. But the, there was a car on his tail. It was a long tail. But I think he might have got away, in my opinion. But yeah. So they have the sirens. And they basically look like they're going after Bobby. And um, But Cooper finds the bloody shirt. With Leo's initials. Which, gosh. Regardless if Leo is guilty or not guilty of Laura Palmer's death I just hope Leo does end up getting caught for something because he's guilty of plenty else that we already know thus far so yeah I mean yeah screw you LJ (laughs) um yeah (laughs) so this was a big plot twist or at least I was a little unexpected I mean I thought it would be somebody else, but basically we are in the woods and Leo smoking nearby and who turns up, which I was suspicious when uh, Benjamin got on the phone when Audrey left the room in the previous scene. I thought this was Catherine, just me assuming that that was on the line, but I'm now assessing it looked like that was Leo who was going to meet up with him. So ben and leo are like you know you know in cahoots there's a few new cahoots actually in this episode which i found intriguing um so real quick here's basically what happened with the renault brothers um Mm -hmm. so yeah so jacques went up to canada to lay low because the police were kind of like on his trail a little bit um so he went up to canada to lay low uh bernie is dead this is what confused me. Like yeah. when he said Bernie's dead, like I gathered, he just said Bernie's dead, and I'm like, wait, so did Leo kill Bernie? Or like, yeah. So in the in did, the scene, right? yeah, in the scene, you you might have missed it because it's real quick and it's kind of hard to quick. make out. But mm-hmm. he shows a, I think he shows the flashlight on a body on the ground. There's like a body in like a a burlap sack. Okay. So I'm yeah, Leo certain. just straight up murdered Bernie. Okay, this is what confused me, and I should have probably re- like did a little rewind when I watched it, because when I'm watching, I'll take like notes mid-watch, and I'll like l- glance down, you know, at my notes real quick. And during that scene, I was like, 
wait did he just say he killed bernie i'm like i think so and i'm like i don't want to keep watching ben and leo in a scene because they're also up there again as my you know not my favorite characters but i was gathering like holy shit he's referring to bernie being dead and i'm like i think he just meant that he killed him and i would not be surprised so that's why i just gathered that information i'm like okay yeah Um, this is our this is our first non-laura murder in the show death in the show so uh so casual Let's 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 get a little of a of a Sarah Palmer scream in there for Bernie. <laughs> yeah, so you know, R.I.P. Bernie didn't really get to know you, but now there's more murder going on in this town, and we will be doing the Mrs. Palmer sque- scream for any uh, any characters that die on this show. Oh, that's good to know. (laughs) What a good tribute. Twin Peaks, no one's safe. Yeah. This is probably what confirmed or at least made me feel a little bit better about my suspicions about Donna in the woods. Still in the woods from the previous scene. We go into another part of the woods or potentially a different woodland area of Twin Peaks. And we go to James and Donna who are basically, you know, worried of psychic Sarah <laughs> talking about where the necklace is. And of course, this is this is a confirmation that um, Sarah is potentially psychic and has wicked dreams. And Laura maybe had, she, they did say it was like a pass down thing. Or Donna mentioned that Laura had dreams like that too. Um, but something about how Donna is approaching James, like she, she says to him, like, this is for us. Like, I get how that can sound not suspicious, but something about her, I'm a little nervous that because she's maybe so um, sparkly-eyed, googly-eyed over James that I think that she's going to maybe, I don't know, do things that are maybe not exactly um, on the moral compass for the sake of what she maybe wants with James. That is where I'm getting at. So, um, yeah, now the locket's gone, which... We talked about this in pilot episode. That was a shitty hiding place. I mean, you said it rains there. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not buying Donna's motive, though. I'm not buying that, like, I get, you know, she's using the motive that they loved Laura and that they're doing this for them. But there is something in my gut that is just saying, I don't know. I don't know Donna. Don't know James either, but James just seems a little bit kind of like, do 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 my name's james i really loved laura i'm still grieving and now i just found her twin <laughs> brunette twin so laura yeah. put it best james is so dumb <laughs> yeah there you go um then they have like an owl interrupt them which i thought was a hilarious awkward silent moment it was just like <laughs> who's <laughs> nope i'm not i'm gonna hold off on the puns you know what I would say, though. Um, <laughs> who's that? No, okay. Oh, my God. I gotta shut the fuck up. <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> what? The AC is not on. It's getting hot in my room. It's getting... I'm getting delirious in here. Um, yeah, but that scene is what it is. They have their moment, and it is mentioned, and I do find this interesting, when they're mentioning the dreams that both Sarah Palmer and her daughter had and the sort of passed down genetic sort of, you know, psychic ability, dream ability, um, which potentially Dale Cooper 
has his own version of dreams, which he had that connection, which he was keeping his distance from. But yeah, Laura, Laura's mom, according to Donna, is a bit spooky, according to Laura's previous words. So I did put that in my notes to remember. Um, yeah. Donna is sus. That's what I'm gathering. <laughs> I never would use that. I, I'm using such the new terms. What generation is it? Generation Gen Z. Z? Gen Z. <laughs> Mike, if I go too far into the Gen Z dialogue, hold me back. Hold me back. Okay. When you start saying sheesh, I'll, uh, that's when I'll, sheesh, I'll just turn your mic off. Sh- Wait, what's had- sheesh? Sheesh? They do like the, they, they do, like they put like finger, like uh, two fingers on like their veins and they go, sheesh. You never seen that? No. What oh, yeah, does that it's like, mean? I, so I don't know what, she, I don't know where sheesh comes from. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a, I feel like an old grumpy old man now. Like I'm just like, I don't know. Uh, but apparently, apparently the, the two fingers on like your veins, like that's from like a basketball player. Cause he used to always say like, he's got ice in his veins. So he used to always like do this. I don't, I don't know. It was weird. Oh. That's all I know. That's, that's how it's been explained to me. Gen Z, if you're listening, <laughs> correct me, yell at me, call me an old band, throw things at me if you see me on the street. I'm old and out of touch. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gen Z, hit me up in the DMs and give me a definition. No, I'm kidding. I will look it up on Google or maybe I'll forget it after we talk on this podcast. <laughs> but thank you for the explanation from uh, Millennial <laughs> standpoint. Oh, God. We have... Um, Josie and um this is something that I the one thing I will criticize about the show or if I'm not sure if this is like a crit of criticism of it but like I really want to see more of Josie's character I know we did finally get a little bit more of Josie's character in this episode but there's just like a lot more I want to know about her also just in general like it would be nice I mean I get that this is a show from the early 90s but just because of like a lot of the conversation topics that are have been way long overdue it just be really nice to see the diversity that can exist within twin peaks if it does continue on but josie is like one of the few you know you know women of color that basically exists within twin peaks um so yeah i just kind of like really want to see more of her character yeah there is a conversation to be had about that topic and um it's something that we will be addressing in a future episode well i'm looking forward to that so Josie answers a call from Harry and um basically um she now Truman cuz he got the little, you know, tip from I think it was Hawk cuz now Hawk's really good at his job of observing everything around him. He Truman addresses Josie on the phone about how she was at the Timber Falls um motel and she all of a sudden gets a little bit quiet. And yeah, so she's, I've already mentioned she's a detective, you know, on my list of detectives in the Twin Peaks now. But um, yeah, she's, I think, I'm really curious of what information she's gathering because we know she's basically trying to, you know, I think cover her ass and she's aware that people are trying to destroy her uh, as in Ben and Catherine. But um, yeah, so she has that phone call and I'm, uh, I'm just intrigued in which how good of a detective she is i'm rooting for detective josie i am um okay now i'm starting to get what you mean about how you really like pete i know you mentioned you really love pete in uh 
Yeah. Mike's melting in case bean. anyone's. <laughs> He's such a precious bean. I love him so much. I'm I am starting to mayo. get that now. Just give him his mayo. <laughs> yeah. The man deserves mayo on his sandwich. Just give it to him. <laughs> but the most interesting parts of the scene, which brings us to the conclusion of this episode, is Josie, a bear, and I did not expect when she opens this letter, I was like, oh, it's going to be, um, I don't know, some health insurance tax information. I don't know. And she opens the letter <laughs> and it just happens to be, this was like really random. Like, also, I was thinking, did Andy draw that? I mean, I don't know, because it was more illustration work in the show. But she opens a letter to find this illustration of that damn chip that Hank holds, the three, three or six, you know, domino chip. And this was like a bit of a scream moment or like, uh, you know, like 90s horror film kind of angle. And she walks into that room with the bear behind her back. I hope that's not foreshadowing. I really want Josie to make it. And what do you know? She gets on the phone with Hank. Another uh, cahoots that is existing within Twin Peaks that I did not expect. Um, which pissed me off because I don't like Hank. And I'm like, what could Josie be up to? Or what has Hank got on her or vice versa? So all the questions kind of came in. Um, and Pete clearly has no idea what's going on. I get why you find him adorable now. Because it's like, he must be so innocent. Because he's just like having his mayo sandwich. And making sure the coffee doesn't have a, like, you know, like basically fish in the percolator and all that kind of, all that jazz. But yeah, that was quite a ending. It, it, I know you can't trust anyone in Twin Peaks, but I want to find someone I can trust in Twin Peaks. And I guess that's Pete. <laughs> well, we shall see. It is a to be continued yep. for sure. Um, yep, yep, yep. But that's the episode. So, so Jadine, mm-hmm. um, overall thoughts. What did you think of the episode? Did you like the episode? What's going on in your brain? Mm-hmm. Um, I did like the episode. I think one thing that was um, satisfying in watching this particular episode is that probably the most um, aware of what was going on in the show like I felt a little bit less confused going into this when there was a lot of information coming around left and right and I like I told you initially joining in on this podcast um love a good mystery and I love you know Nancy Drew level of trying to solve the case so the fact that all these characters now have motives and reasons and passion in wanting to solve this murder does get me a little bit more excited and also, there was just definitely a few turnarounds that made me go like, wait, what the fuck? Which I expect to happen in every episode. But yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was, um, I felt like I'm now starting to feel less confused as a viewer, which is, um, feels a little bit more grounded for me <laughs> in the world of David Lynch, which is a this little is, bit nice to have that break. Yeah. This is a much more grounded episode than, uh, than some of the more, than some of the previous ones. Um, well... Let's um, let's go back and uh, take a peek behind the red curtains and go behind the scenes on this week's episode. Um, so this episode was written by Robert Engels, who is a recurring writer on the show. He comes back for a few more episodes. Um, but most notably, it was uh, directed by Tim Hunter. 
and who said that this episode was actually inspired by the, the 1945 film Fallen Angel. Um, this episode features a lot of small sets um, and long depth of field shots. And this is something that I think is like really interesting from a directing point. Um, there's, there's two notable angles that are used uh, in this episode that, have, that were not used in previous episodes and don't really get used again. Uh, the first is the he used a split diopter lens, which if you remember that scene um, with Ben and Audrey, and she's kind of in the background and he's like in the foreground. Waiting for her to leave, right? Yeah. And it's that sort of like that it gives that sort of like depth of field view. Yeah. Um, that was so that was the split diopter lens. I personally hate that. I personally like hate that style. Really? It looks it looks so I don't know. It looks so phony. It just takes me out of the scene. I've seen it in like other mm-hmm. like movies and it's it's in a whole bunch of TV shows. Yeah. Um I never liked it. I'm always just like either keep the background either keep the background blurred or like just have the characters be like face to face, pick a different angle just looks phony to me yeah it's it's not my favorite but one of the shots that he used that i do like and i actually love seeing it in films is he used what's called a a dutch angle um which is that sort of like tilted sideways angle at the end of the episode with uh josie on the phone uh this is actually something that mark frost and david lynch only allowed tim hunter to use it was otherwise forbidden on the show like no other director did they trust to use the dutch angle other than tim hunter they just like what he what (laughs) they just was doing (laughs) yeah they just they just liked him they liked his work and they trusted that if tim hunter was going to use uh the dutch angle that he would be the only one that they trust to do that so really really cool Some other fun facts. Uh, David Lynch guest stars in this episode as uh, our first appearance of Gordon Cole. Coop's supervisor is on the phone. Yeah. So uh, Cooper's supervisor. Oh, my God. The guy on the phone. So that's David Lynch. That's David Lynch's voice. So a little guest appearance. Yeah. So go back, listen to that again, and you'll hear... Uh, you'll hear David Lynch's voice, and we'll talk more about that um, in future episodes. And then the infamous llama scene. You know, we love talking on this podcast about all the wonderful accidents that happened on the show. According to Kyle McLaughlin, he said, quote, The llama scene was a happy accident. I knew if I laughed, a potentially great and spontaneous moment would be lost. So according to Kyle McLaughlin, just another happy accident on the set of Twin Peaks. I'm telling you, David Lynch has some sort of like dark magic that he uses to make these wonderful things happen because they happen so often on this show. I would watch an entirely separate show directed by anyone that involved Kyle McLaughlin, a llama, and happy accidents. Like, <laughs> I mean, follow Kyle McLaughlin's Instagram because it is wholesome although don't because i think he does sometimes not yet put spoilers. I, he does sometimes put I know spoilers. i almost got i think a spoiler this week but didn't there's just like a little moment when i see like certain photos and i'm like wait i think i haven't seen 
that character or I haven't seen that before but I'm super careful. I've never been more careful in my life, Mike. So, um, but I have a whole list of things I'm going to do after I watch the show, which includes file, like following Kyle McLaughlin's Instagram. <laughs> it's up there. Just block his Instagram. Block it. <laughs> so, well, Jenny, with that said, when two separate events happen simultaneously pertaining to the same object of inquiry, we must always pay strict attention. Which brings us to this week's legacy. This week, we're going to be talking about Twin Peaks and the legacy of genre mixing. So the reason why I chose this episode to talk about this um, is because uh, Robert Engels, who, who, like I mentioned, who wrote the episode, he had a whole bunch of influences from a few different like areas and topics and genres. Um, one of which when he was writing, it was the wild, wild West, not the Will Smith version from, I, I think, hate my, like, yeah, my instinct was that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. From, from like the nineties. No, this Kevin was Klein uh, and Will Smith. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This was the, the 1965 television series, which um, ironically enough at the time was also kind of a genre mixing um, it was sort of at that point in time where like Westerns were becoming less popular and the sort of like James Bond spy genre was starting to really pick up. And the Wild Wild West was sort of a blending of those two genres. Um, other influences included uh, Mayberry RFD, which was a spinoff of the Andy Griffith show and The Fugitive. Again, I must point out, not The Fugitive with Harrison Ford. And Tommy Lee so Jones. Yeah. So, <laughs> I yes. just was going to Someone just recommended watch me to watch that film recently, and I, I haven't watched it yet. So, yeah. The Fugitive, the, the one with Harrison Ford. Yeah. Um, so, not The Fugitive not with Harrison Ford and mm-hmm. Tommy Lee Jones, um, but the 1963 crime uh, drama of which was, which the film was based off of. Um, which, mm. if you know, in this episode, the one our man, the whole name of the episode is almost a direct reference to the fugitive. Because if you remember, even in the movie, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the main guy who killed his wife. It was the one our man. So this episode is almost a direct reference. Um, but the reason I, the, so, so you already have like these three you know these three tv shows that are all different genre genres coming into combine and before twin peaks you know tv shows kind of really fit into a mold you know it would maybe be like one or two genres that they were mixing but for the most part like if it was a sitcom it was a sitcom if it was a crime drama it was just that um soap opera comedy everything before twin peaks really just kind of fit into those like perfect boxes yeah exactly Mm -hmm. but twin peaks is a whole bunch of different genres mashed together almost seamlessly like it's really like they're woven together um perfectly it's a soap opera Mm -hmm. which they tease us with with yeah and i'm so glad i'm so glad you picked up on this with the invitation to love um yeah they're almost like yeah like it's it's those soap opera elements 
it's an absurdist comedy. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are so many laugh out loud moments. Um, it's avant-garde. It's a crime, his- uh, a crime mystery. It's supernatural horror. And it's all these things, just like I said, woven together almost seamlessly. And it was something that hadn't really been done, especially on television. And now uh, shows and films do this all the time. You think about like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That was like teen drama meets horror meets sitcom meets comedy. Like it was sort of all those like elements put together. Uh, X-Files was a crime drama meets science fiction. (gasps) On my list. Uh, I want to see that show so bad. And and what's incredible is I think that this is something that is so incredibly popular now more than ever. Um, mm-hmm. I always come back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe because one of the things that they are so expert at is taking genres and layering them over like the superhero genre. So like you have the, the Winter Soldier is this sort of spy espionage action flick. Uh, Spider-Man, you know, those two movies are just like teen movies with like a superhero element in there. Yeah. Uh, WandaVision. WandaVision, I'm telling you guys, is is so inspired by Twin Peaks. I have, there's no articles or quotes out there referencing it, but. Wait, it is... now I could, I mean, I'm still early days into the show, but after watching WandaVision when it first came out, I can see where that suburban or like that layers of, uh mind warping sort of story play is oof okay great great comparison absolutely it's that small town Mm. weirdness with that supernatural element um but then again you know it also has like superheroes it's a sitcom it's a comedy it's you know also kind of like a little spy espionage going on Mm -hmm. in the background so again it seems so common to us now but this was really something that Twin Peaks started, perfected, and really just kind of ran with. And it inspired and influenced so many more TV shows and movies to be daring and to sort of add layers to their genre and not just, you know, sort of fit themselves into a perfect box. Uh, and that's yeah. something that Twin Peaks really introduced to the uh, mainstream television. And I love that. Yeah. It makes sense. It's like what makes David Lynch have like there's those certain, you know, house names in in the industry that become their own genre. Like and David Lynch is definitely way up there with such a distinct sort of taking you by surprise genre. And it makes sense when he kind of goes into all these detours where he basically, yeah, it's a whole beautiful genre quilt of everything you can think of into one. And it's so cool to know that he kind of basically kicked that off in a way and or and also you know took inspiration in other cool ways too absolutely absolutely um all right well as always janine uh-huh i'm i'm coughing you i'm bringing you downtown you're coming to the sheriff's station because as (laughs) always i'm asking those questions here are the questions same questions as always i hope you're hope you're prepared because Janine, I want to know, uh, what was your favorite scene in the episode? I think you mentioned it. I think you already if told I us. I haven't mentioned it, yeah. In case anyone wants to hear it again, I want to hear it again. Um, the the vet, the vet, the veterinary clinic. 
with Mrs. Loomer, um, Line Decker's place with the llama. I wish I could find out what that llama's name was if I missed it. That whole scene was just adorable. It gave me a little bit of a balance, which like the whole episode was great, but it was just a nice to have that little like little kind of like fan like it was just like a fantasy land moment for me and it was adorable it's Aww. enough said <laughs> we love the llama we stand the llama we're big llama fans. yes mm-hmm. um all right question number two who won mm-hmm. the episode who came out on top who had the most influence who had mm. who won um well the llama won my heart but who <laughs> but the person that won the episode i'd say is audrey um i think audrey won the episode because well she's she won in the way in which she seems like she's on the course of doing what she exactly wants to do whether that's good or bad um she does have a motive she also manipulated one of my least favorite characters so that's a win in my book um yeah i think audrey won um or at least she's on the way to winning if that's you know however she defines winning i think she's on that she's on that course so yeah okay Mm -hmm. and last but certainly not least janine who killed laura palmer oh goodness gracious um I know I can't say me yet because my name starts with J, um, <laughs> but I'm sure I'm on that list. I'm going to wait until later. Um, this was tough because there's a lot like a lot more new information specifically about leading to, I think, Laura's murder. And it was in all different directions. So if I had to, like I say every episode, this is the hardest question and I don't and I purposely don't go prepared because I kind of like to go with my impulse when you ask me during the the recording. So this episode, who killed Laura Palmer? Oh, I want to say H- Hank. I want to say Josie because I, I am curious about the J. I'm very curious about the J. But... Right now, I want to say Hank. Maybe I'm just being so anti. Oh my God, I'm being just like screw all the white men in the show. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep naming all the white men. Um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, let's go with Hank for now. I think I'm. I hate that this might be a really horrible strategy, but every time you're gathering who I suspect killed Laura Palmer per episode, I'm just gonna purposely choose a different name every time. So by the end, I at least right <laughs> once. I just got it right once. So give me some time. <laughs> give every single person. You're just going to keep yeah. throwing darts at the board until something sticks. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, or I'm going to be like Andy and just shoot around the target everywhere and just miss. Um, because <laughs> no, nobody belongs with a gun in that scenario. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I think for now I'm going to go with Hank, but I'm going to, yeah, keep writing down who I go to assume and yeah maybe i'll get it right one day maybe who knows you do but i don't i do i know (laughs) yeah you do know (laughs) i have all (sighs) the answers one day i'll know one day but uh we'll have to discuss that another time anyway so that's it that's the end of the episode thank you for listening (laughs) 
I need to uh, turn my AC on and slap some mayo on a sandwich. <laughs> As do I. I might skip the mayo because I just had some delicious curry tonight. Who knows? But I'm definitely putting my AC on too. Holy crap, today's a hot day. It is hot, disgusting. But thank you guys so much for listening. Janine, thanks mm-hmm. for hanging out with me and discussing my favorite show in the whole wide world. Of course, anytime. And uh, I will chat with you next time and we'll go fishing and eat mayonnaise. It'll be great. <laughs> Sounds good to me. As long as we can bring some llamas along, I'm in. Oh, all the llamas. <laughs> Alrighty, y'all. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Welcome to Twin Speaks is edited by Janine Purse and produced by Mike Dowd with music by RJ Mills. Follow us on Instagram at Welcome to Twin Speaks, or you can email us at welcometotwinspeaks at gmail.com.